This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Well, good morning. How are you today? I'm so thankful to get to be with you guys today, get to hang out for a little bit. Uh, it's, it's such a blessing to be in person with you guys. I was here a couple years ago, got to share with you guys a little bit about what was going on uh, in, in our lives and what's going on. I want to, first of all, draw attention to my wife, Michelle, and my two boys, Mason and Tyler. They're with me today. Uh, we gathered together for Christmas. Um, it's such a great time to get to hang out with you guys today because you may not know this, but I actually watch your live stream services almost every week. Uh, your services start before our services do in, in Fort Worth, so sometimes I'll jump on with you guys and just click like and the truth is, you may think I'm just being nice and clicking like on your videos, but I'm not. I'm getting on there because I want to steal all your ideas. So our LED wall is going in very soon in Fossil Creek. You'll, you'll be able to see it soon. Um, you guys have done a great job here. I love looking around at, at the, the renovations you guys are doing, the building projects. This is awesome. I love to see God continuing to work in the hearts of people, continuing to see people come to know Jesus. I'm so thankful for a church in Tulsa that loves Jesus passionately and that wants to see more people come to love Jesus even more passionately. So thank you guys for being who you are. Thanks for loving my family. Um, you know, it's, it's a little awkward to come to the church that's pastored by your childhood bully, but I'm getting over it. <laughs> that's my cross to bear. I'll get over it. You know him as a loving pastor. I know him as a guy that would pin me down and beat me until I cried. <laughs> and if you are a bad church member, he may hold you down and beat you until you cry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, we love you guys. We're thankful to be here with you today. I'm so thankful to get to be here. Today, I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. It's awesome to celebrate Christmas together. You know, one of the things with Christmas that we get to do is we get to gather together with people that maybe we haven't seen in a while. Um, if, you're, if you're a little bit older, maybe your kids come home for this time. If you're a little bit younger, maybe you've traveled home to here to, to see your parents for this time. But I love the idea that everyone gathers together. We get to spend time together. You know, I think that the truth is that, that we're all looking for moments of togetherness in the middle of the Christmas season. We're all looking for those moments when we're just with people. You know, over the last 18 months, the last two years, it's been a little bit difficult as we navigate when can I be with people and when can I not be with people and what are they comfortable with and what am I not comfortable with. And, and we've had to walk through all this, but today what I want to take you to is in Luke chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 41. In this passage, there's a collecting point of what happens in Israel at this time. You guys celebrated the birth of Jesus a couple days ago. Today, I'm going to take you about a decade in the future. Jesus is now 12 years old. Beginning in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, we see one of those gathering points of Jesus and his family and all of the people in Israel. Let me give you a little bit of background on what's happening in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. There's five uh, feasts that are recommended for the Jewish people to come to the, the temple to celebrate together. By the time we get to the second temple period that's happening here and about 2,000 years ago, there really, there's only three feasts that the people are actually coming to the temple to celebrate. And in all actuality, if you live in a rural area, much like Jesus' family did, you really only came in for one feast, and that was the Passover. So at this point, Jesus and his family are traveling in for the Passover. They're, they're spending time with everyone. They're getting to do this yearly. And at this point, Jesus is 12 years old, just about to become a man in the eyes of those people who are around him. Let me take you to Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 48. It says this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. 
After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and at his answers. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Put your finger right there. We'll come back to that here in just a moment. Let's pray together. Lord God, I pray that in this moment that we talk about the moment that that Jesus was lost, Jesus would not be lost in our hearts. God, I pray that this holy divine moment that we're about to partake of together would be something that we have prepared for, something that we've walked into, and now, God, something that we'll walk out with. I pray, God, that we would not be the same people that we were when we walked in, when we walk out of these doors today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read the passage in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52, where we're going to go eventually, but really here through verse 48, one of the things that jumps out to me is that that we may know, know, anecdotally may know the Jewish tradition that at the age of 13, a boy becomes a man. In our day today, a Jewish family will throw a party for their son when he turns 13, and and really he's accepted into the manhood. It's this moment of of great celebration, a moment of, of tremendous honor for the child. And here Jesus is, just before his 13th birthday, being 12 years old, they've traveled to the temple for the Passover, and while they are there, somehow his family miscounts the number of kids that are with him on that day. I don't know how it happened. I wish that Luke would tell us exactly how it happened, because I think that would make a great story. I don't know exactly what happened, but I know that Jesus' family miscounted who was with him that day. And when they left and began traveling away from Jerusalem... It took them quite a while to even catch on that Jesus wasn't with them. I want you to imagine this. If you've ever seen the movie Home Alone, this is Home Alone on a divine scale. Can you imagine losing the Son of God? You didn't just lose Kevin McAllister who has to defend his house. You lost Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You lost the the Savior of the world is now lost and you have no idea where he's at. Not only that, it took you 24 hours to even realize that you missed Jesus. What do you think that prayer was like? You think Mary and Joseph bowed their heads and like, God, you know, you know everything. Of course, you're, you're omniscient. You know everything. But God, we just, we just want to tell you, we lost your son. Don't be mad. I don't know what it was like, but I imagine it was, it was pretty tense, a pretty intense moment. It was this crazy moment because all of a sudden they realized they've lost Jesus. Not only did they lose Jesus, but they didn't realize he was gone for 24 hours. It takes them three days to even track him down. When they finally find him, of course, they're at their wit's end. I often think, you know, have you ever experienced that moment where you've been lost or maybe you've lost one of your children? Maybe you were walking around Walmart and your kid went down an aisle that you didn't see him go down and all of a sudden you turn around and your kid's not there. As a parent, I've experienced that panic a few times in my life. Now, I always find him very quickly. I can tell you I'm a good parent. I've never lost my kid for more than a couple minutes. Never for 24 hours and especially not for three days. So I feel like if I'm, if I'm doing better than Mary and Joseph, then I have a right to talk to Jesus about some things. If his own parents lost him for that long, then I'm doing pretty good as a parent. You know, I think of what it's like to, to feel that panic when you lose someone or when you are lost. What it must feel like on the inside. When I was 15, I was with a group of people. We left from our church and 
We actually, we were going and doing uh, kids programs all throughout the United States. And one of the places that we were invited to go, we went and we traveled from Kansas where we started. We traveled all the way over to California. We were doing uh, kids services all through California. One of the favorite games that we like to play, we were all teenagers except for the children's pastor who was with us. One of the favorite games that we like to play is the last person to come out of a gas station, we would pretend that we left them. We would take the church van, we'd go hide it around the building. It was, it was a funny game, right? It was really funny unless you were the one who was the last person out of the gas station. Then it wasn't so fun anymore. One particular time, there was a guy who was with us that day. His name was Seth. He was a little bit younger than I was. Seth was in the bathroom of the gas station, and I don't know how we did it, but we were joking around, and we actually left Seth. We didn't mean to. (laughs) We actually left him. We got back on the highway in California, on the interstate, and began driving away. There's only like six of us in the van, I think, at the time, and now we're down to five. (laughs) A couple miles down the road, I remember that children's pastor who was with us. Her name was Joan. Joan looked in the rearview mirror, and she said, Philip, where's Seth at? And I said, I don't know. I thought he was laying in the back of the van. I crawled back there. I looked. He was not there. We quickly turned around. We drove back to the gas station we were. We thought we can't let the kid know that he was lost, so we pull around the back of the gas station and sit there and wait. Pretty soon, Seth comes around the back of the gas station. He's laughing. It's funny. It's all good. And we're like, whew. Jump in, bud. We've been waiting for 20 minutes on you. Where you been? That, that sick feeling in your stomach of knowing, like, this kid is gone. We have no idea where he's at. We have no idea. I can't imagine the sick feeling that Mary and Joseph must have felt in this moment. I can't imagine what must have been going through their heads when they realized that that the one who was promised to them, Emmanuel, God with us, was no longer God with us. Now it was God wherever he is. (laughs) Mary and Joseph have to have some really real conversations. Eventually they travel back to Jerusalem. When Mary finds Jesus, she says something to him. I, I love the way that the scripture put it, the way that Luke records it. He says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I heard a little bit different when I was a kid when I would get lost. I would hear things like, look what you've done to your dad and me. Look how stressed out we are. What have you done to me? Why are you making us stressed out like this? Can I tell you something? I think that Mary had every right to say those things to Jesus. I think that Mary had every right to feel those feelings in her heart. She had lost her son. She had lost the one that had been promised to her, the the covenant, the Messiah of all of Israel. She had lost him, and, and she's panicked, and she's stressed, and she has every right to feel the way she feels. But here's where the story changes. Because what Mary says to Jesus is not, son, we're so glad that we found you, or son, we're so glad that you're not lost anymore. Instead, what Mary does is she reacts out of her stress when she responds to Jesus. She says, why would you do this to me and Joseph? See, what happens is Mary reacts out of her emotions instead of reacting out of her understanding of who Jesus was. She reacts out of this this anxiety, this feeling of, oh my goodness, what has happened? And I think that she's justified in feeling stressed, but her reaction doesn't actually make the situation any better. Can I just talk to you for just a minute? It's not necessarily inside the scripture, but I think it, it comes out of the scripture here. That if you're trying to be in a relationship with someone and your main motivator for keeping that person in the relationship with you is laying guilt trip after guilt trip after guilt trip on them, you're actually pushing them away instead of inviting them in. If your main motivation for keeping people in relationship with you is how dare you treat me this way or how dare you not treat me the way that I expect to be treated, you're actually pushing that person further and further away. See, the truth is that relationships take work. 
The truth is that relationships take sacrifice. Relationships take a realization of saying that if I want to pull you closer, then I actually have to lay down part of my anxiety and part of my stress and part of my belief in who I am, and I have to be open to understanding who you are. I think what was happening here is that Mary did not have a bad feeling, but she had a bad reaction to missing Jesus. She was absolutely justified in being, being stressed about this. But what she walks away with instead is not understanding who Jesus is and why he's there. She walks away with feeling as though, well, at least I've told him how I feel. I love Jesus' reaction after she says, how dare you do this to us? Verse 49, Luke chapter 2, verse 49. It says this, Why were you searching for me? He asked, meaning Jesus. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Now, depending on your text that you're using today. I'm using the the NIV version, but depending on which version you're using today, perhaps it says something like, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? See, what Jesus is trying to get Mary and Joseph and their extended family to understand is the fact that, that he has a unique attachment to his humanity and a unique attachment to his divinity. Jesus is the only one that, I'm going to use a big term here, it's called the hypostatic union. He's 100% man and 100% God. Jesus has a unique connection, a unique way of viewing the world, a unique way of being about God's business that you and I don't have. It's something that Mary and Joseph knew about, but they had yet to recognize it inside of Jesus. So at 12 years old, all of a sudden, this unrecognized trait becomes a recognized trait. Jesus is Mary and Joseph's son, but he's also their Lord. Jesus is your friend, but he's also your Lord. Jesus is walking with you, and he is there to listen to you, and he is your counselor, but at the same time, he is the God of the universe. It's this this strange dichotomy that we live in every day that, that our closest confidant, our closest friend, is also the one who created us, who spoke us into existence. It's a strange thing that we as Christians have to walk through, and I think that the only way that we can handle it is we have to say, isn't Jesus about the Father's business? You know, sometimes the Father's business isn't necessarily my business. Sometimes the Father's business is different than what I expect, different than what I anticipate, or different than what I even want. Sometimes the Father's business is a little bit challenging. See, Jesus in this moment is walking through a shift in the dynamic of their relationship. No longer is he going to be the little boy that Mary and Joseph can tell what to do. He's stepping into and, and becoming who God had created him to be, who he's supposed to be in this moment. Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? You know, I think there's an interesting phenomenon attached to the shifting dynamics inside of a relationship. There's a, a term that, that I learned it from actually a bunch of teenagers. They taught me the term. They said, sometimes when you're dating a boy or a girl, sometimes as you're going through that, you have to have this thing called the DTR. Has anyone ever heard of the DTR? Cool, I'm cooler than you guys. Let me explain it to you. <laughs> the DTR is called the define the relationship talk. It's after you've dated someone for a while, then you sit them down and you say, okay, here's where we're at, here's where we're going, here's what I expect. It's the DTR. Maybe in your employment, you've had a DTR, but you just didn't call it that. In the DTR in your employment would be the times that you sit down and you go through your employee evaluations, or you go through, hey, am I getting a raise this year? You're defining, here's what I'm willing to do, and here's what I expect back from you. What I want you to understand is it's okay to have a DTR with Jesus. 
It's okay to have a defined relationship with God. It's okay to have some conversations with him and say, God, I don't understand exactly what you're wanting from me. I don't understand exactly how to give it to you, but I know that I want to serve you. I know that I want to follow you. I know that I want to be about the Father's business. I know that if I will trust you, if I will follow you, then you will experience, you will give me a relationship that I have yet to understand. See, relationships don't just come out of the clouds. I can't tell you the number of times that I've sat down with young adults in our church. They say, Pastor Philip, it's so hard to find someone to date. It's so hard. I, I can't find anyone. I, and I say, well, what are you doing to find someone to date? Well, I'm showing up to church every Sunday. Yeah, you walk in two minutes after service starts and you leave two minutes before we do the final dismissal. I don't think you're going to meet anyone that way. What are you doing to meet people? Like if you're not trying, then you're not trying. It's hard to meet people. Relationships take work. Relationships take showing up in places where the people you want to be in relationship with are at. You know, one of the things that we've seen over the past couple years with, with Christians, I remember there's a certain study that said that 33% of, church, of Christians, people who claim to be Christians, have never come back since we came back from online services. One third of Christians just said, you know what, I'm good. I can be a Christian without the church. Can I tell you something? It's hard to be in relationship with someone if you don't ever show up to their house. It's hard to be in a relationship with someone if you're not actually talking to that person. I can't imagine if I didn't talk to my wife for two years and someone checked in, they're like, how are you and Michelle doing today? Oh, we're still great. She hasn't said anything yet. It's been two years. I haven't heard from her, but as far as I know, it's good. It's not the way relationships work. See, we have to be about the Father's business. We have to be about what God is doing. And I'm not saying that the Father's business only happens inside of Christian Chapel here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Father's business can be anywhere where you're at. But the problem is, if you're not listening to God, if you're not following after God, then you're going to miss the fact and you're going to be like Mary where you have to be asked, did you not know that we would be about the Father's business? See, Jesus sat down with the religious leaders of his day. At that point, the, the cultural conversation that was being had was had inside of the temple. So Jesus sat there for days and had conversation after conversation, and people were challenged, and they were, they were wanting to know more about God, and they were saying, how does this 12-year-old boy have such a deep understanding about, about God and about God's kingdom? And I think that what it is is that he was showing up to people who were willing to have a conversation. This morning, I want you to know that, that God is here, that it's time for us to get about the Father's business. He's not waiting till next week. He's not waiting till tomorrow. He's not even waiting till after lunch today. God is here in this moment. And maybe it's time to have a define the relationship talk with him. Maybe you've been living as if you were a Christian, but never actually being a Christian. Maybe you've been living as if things are all right, but you know in your heart that things are not right. Can I invite you? And in, in, in a few minutes, I'm going to pray and then and then uh, Chris is going to come, and, and the worship team is going to come. In a few minutes, they'll do all that. And, and I know that they're going to walk you through some stuff. But I just really feel in this moment, like I feel God is just weighing on me, that it's time for some of us to have some define the relationship talks. It's time for some of us to get real with Jesus. It's time for some of you to, to just tell Jesus, here's where I'm at, God. I, I struggle here. I'm facing this here. I, I don't know why this is happening. But God, if you'll, if you'll show up, I'll be about the Father's business. The last point I want to talk to you about is probably the most important point. It's that Jesus chooses to love, and the question is, will we? Will we choose to love? I love what happens at the end of this, because Jesus is 100% right as he talks to Mary and Joseph in this moment. 
He's 100% right that he had to be about the father's business, and he's shocked that they didn't understand it. But then there's a shift in the story. Verse 51 says this. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We leave verse 51 up there. We throw verse 51 up there. It is at the very beginning there. It says, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Did Jesus have to obey Mary and Joseph? I mean, he's the God of the universe. Did Jesus have to do exactly what Mary and Joseph said? Or could he have said, you know what? I'm the Messiah. I'm going to set the rules here. I'm going to stay in Jerusalem as long as I want want to stay in Jerusalem. You guys can come pick me up when I'm ready. I'll send a carrier pigeon to let you know. That's not what Jesus does. When Mary and Joseph have this moment where they say, Jesus, we lost you. We don't know what to do. He immediately reverts back to love because that's where Jesus always functions from. He reverts back to love and he submits to his earthly parents. He goes back to Nazareth and he continues to be a good son to them. In the moment when Jesus corrected his parents, he still chose to submit to them. I think that this probably spoke more to Mary and Joseph than anything else that's happened in this story. Because while Jesus was absolutely right to stay behind in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was absolutely right to to talk with the religious leaders and to be about the Father's business, even when he was 100% right, he still chose to make the relationship real between him and his parents. How do I know that? Because of what verse 52 says. And Jesus continued to grow in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. Every time I dedicate a baby at our church, I always quote Luke chapter 2, verse 52 over them. Because my desire is that that baby will not just grow in wisdom and not just grow in stature, not just become bigger, but my desire is that they grow in favor with God and in favor with man. My desire is that every baby that we hold, every child that that shows up to church, I love that you guys have a great kids ministry here. We steal stuff from Amy all the time, all the time. You guys do something, we're doing it the next week. It's already at our church. I love that you have a great kids ministry because you know what that tells me? It tells me that you understand Luke chapter 2, verse 52. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That we're not called just to grow the wisdom of those who are interacting with. We're not called just to to grow the stature of those we're in favor with, but we're actually called to grow the whole man and the whole woman. What I understand from this passage is that at a young age, Jesus realized that he was on a mission from God. He was born as a baby, grew as a man, and became, or grew as a boy and became a man while preparing to be the great teacher and the perfect sacrifice for us. I think sometimes when we read the Christmas story, it's easy to picture Jesus as a baby because we like that version of Jesus. It's comfortable, it's easy, it's unassuming. And then we also kind of like the, the Jesus that's at Easter too, because that Jesus loves us so much that he died on the cross for us. And, and three days later, we don't have to be sad for too long, because three days later, he comes back to life. So we like that Jesus too. Can I tell you one of my favorite life points of Jesus? It's right here. It's 12-year-old Jesus. It's 12-year-old Jesus who's going through that awkward phase in his life, where his arms are probably a little bit longer than they're supposed to be. Maybe he's got a couple zits on his face. His voice is a little squeaky and is bouncing all over the place. And in the middle of this, in the middle of him physically becoming a man, he actually becomes who God has called him to be. See, he was always God, but he wasn't always a man. He wasn't always 
He wasn't born as, as the picture that we see of Jesus, the white Jesus with the, the reddish-brown beard who has long flowing hair. I don't even want to get into whether that's a true picture. I'll just say he wasn't born like that. The Jesus that I love is 12-year-old Jesus because it was awkward Jesus. It was Jesus who loved you, but he couldn't quite put into words why he loved you. It was Jesus that saw you as worthy of redemption, and he knew that he had to be about the Father's business. See, the truth is that Jesus didn't come to this earth for his own sake. He came to this earth for our sake. He was born as a baby for you and for me. He died on a cross for you and for me. I was listening to a podcast, and, and I'm almost done, I promise. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago. It was a podcast about the, the flood epics that happened. In ours, it's, it's the flood of Noah in Genesis chapter 9. They were comparing it to different flood epics from, from throughout uh, different ancient Near Eastern sources. And they were walking through one in particular. They were walking through the, the Babylonian flood epic. They were talking about creation. The, the ancient Babylonian gods believed that the humans were really nothing more than animatrons, and they were created just to serve the lesser gods who serve the greater gods. And it's, it's, if you want to research it, it's a really interesting thing, basically why humans exist. But in the, in the ancient Babylonian text of why the flood came, they say the flood came because the gods became angry with how smelly and how loud the humans are. This is what they believed. So the gods got together and they sent a flood to wipe out the earth. But one of the gods felt bad for the stinky, loud humans and said, you can save yourself if you can build a boat in enough time. I want you to compare that to Genesis chapter 9. I want you to compare it to the story of Noah, where our God loves us enough that he says, because of my love, I have to do something. And he starts talking to Noah, and he starts inviting Noah into relationship, and he starts letting Noah know what's going to happen and how to do it. And can I tell you, like, if I compare those two epics, what I can begin to understand is that God always functions from love. He's always about the Father's business. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you have had the greatest week of your life over this past week, or maybe you've had the most disappointing week of your life this past week. Maybe as you're walking through the Christmas season, as it's closing out over the next few days, you're looking at everything that's happened around you, and you say, I don't even know why I even tried this year. I just don't have much left to give out of myself. Can I invite you to just understand this for just a moment? I don't know the last time someone told you they loved you. For some of you, it may have been before you came to church this morning. For some of you, it may have been years. But can I tell you something? Jesus genuinely loves you. He loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine. He loves you more than you can fathom. He loves you so much that he stepped down to earth, became a man like us, walked through the temptations that we walked through, went through the awkward phase at 12 years old, lived to be into his 30s, and died for our sins, only to come back to life. All of this happened because God loves me and because he loves you. So if you haven't been told that, that anyone loves you in a while, man, I know someone who loves you more than anyone else. The second group that I want to talk to today, maybe you're like Mary and Joseph. At one point, you had the revelation of who God was. At one point, you understood God with us, Emmanuel. But over the last few years, it's just kind of become dull in your life. It's not that you don't believe anymore, 
It's that you don't function from belief anymore. It's that you've learned how to act like a Christian without actually being a Christian. This morning, I'm going to close in prayer, and I want to pray for two groups. The first, those who need to be told that they're loved. And the second, for those that know you're loved, but it's kind of dimmed in your life. I want you to know that God is here with you. God is present. God is available. He hasn't looked away from you. He hasn't forgotten you. He is ready for a relationship if you'll have that talk with him in the next few minutes. Let's bow our heads together. Lord God, I thank you for a great church who loves you so much. God, I thank you that in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there is a beacon in this city of of a place that people can come and can learn about the love of God. Jesus, I pray that you would bless this church greatly. I pray that they would be so full that that their, their doors are busting out with people, God. God, I believe that you have such a great calling on this congregation. Jesus, I pray today for those that are gathered here that need to be told that someone loves them. God, let them hear first that you love them. Second, let them hear that this church loves them. That no one's scared of their mess. That no one's scared of the the things that we drag in with us, the stink that we drag in with us. We're a collection of people who are journeying towards Jesus together. God, the second group I pray for today are those that knew you intimately at one time, but we've become almost too familiar with you. We've become used to going through the actions of church without actually actually having the experience of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. God, right now, we are about the Father's business. In this moment, God, I pray that you would begin to stir hearts God, the hearts that were once aflame for you that have slowly died down to embers and ashes, I pray, God, that you'd send a holy wind to blow the ashes off once more and show, God, that the hot coals are still there. We just need to add a little bit more fuel to the fire. Jesus, I pray right now that we would not be so familiar with you that we stop functioning with you. I pray, Jesus, for a fresh revelation of who you are in each of our hearts today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.